0: Hoping we'd keep singing a while and my nerves would calm down, but they just got worse It's good to be here with you this morning I I hope the things that we have to study to this morning will be Beneficial to you. I told mark we needed to trade and maybe my nerves would be less tonight than they are now So one of the reasons i'm nervous is i've been dreading this study a little bit for myself Bible tells us in james chapter 3 there at the beginning that teachers received a receive will receive a stricter judgment about the things that they teach the question of the morning is why won't i change and i hope that we can all ask ourselves that question as we go through our study today why won't i change I'm 34 years old. I learned yesterday, I thought I was 35, but I'm still 34. And I struggle with this greatly. I like my comfortable Christian life, I like the rut that I find myself in. But change is necessary in our lives as Christians. Needed, And we recognize this as we begin our life as Christians, right? We know that we are to put off that old man. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, the Bible says that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the, the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness, and we recognize this concept as we begin our Christian walk, that we have things in our past life that we have to put aside, that we have to leave behind, that we are to pursue God, we are to pursue righteousness and holiness in our life. That's what repentance is. It's making a change. It's changing our life away from serving ourselves and towards serving God. It's something we all recognize as we begin our life as Christians. So what spurred my thoughts on this was Brian's sermon a couple of months ago about growth. And I I looked at my life and I went, Ugh, that's, that's a tough teaching there, Brian. Growing is one thing, and and I thought about that considerably as as he taught, and and after he taught us, I like to grow. I like to take the things I'm doing and get better at them. But then he went on in his sermon, and he talked about changing, and I hate changing. I hate it. I don't want to do different things than what I'm doing. I like growing in what I'm doing, but I don't want to make changes. I don't want to have to fix something or have to change what I'm doing in order to be better. So as I considered that, what I came to in my own mind is that change is the scary side of growing. Now, when me and Candice were dating I was dating this girl who talked of dreams of going to New York and and went to New York a few times now and, and going to see different things and different places and experiencing new things. And we got married, and I believe it was Tuesday. I'm sorry if I got that wrong. But every Tuesday, she would have New Food Tuesday. And I dreaded New Food Tuesday because it was scary That's not who I am. And as we were dating, I'm thinking, this is just not going to work. I'm, I don't want to live more than seven miles from where I grew up. Like, I don't want to change. But as we grew in our relationship, what I found is that while my wife does enjoy new experiences, my wife doesn't like change either. It's pretty rare you find someone that really embraces change, that loves it. That's one of the draws of Christianity is that God never changes. He gives you a rock to cling to. While we may enjoy different experiences from time to time, actually changing in our life, for most of us, that's a very scary thing. And sometimes as we go through our Christian walk, we find that there's a necessity to change when we grow. Sometimes in order to grow, we have to change. Matthew 18, verse 8 and 9, Jesus speaks of this. He says, If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire, and this passage does not help change be any less scary does it it's still scary and sometimes as we go through our christian walks we find a need for radical change sometimes there's temptations we have in our life that we've got to get rid of sometimes it's a smartphone that we carry around in our pocket well, there's a lot of temptation that comes with that. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine the other day, and they were talking about the joys of that Motorola razor, the flip phone. And in the context, they were talking about how enjoyable it was to hang up on someone that you were mad at. You just clamp that thing down. I told him, "I still have my razor. It's sitting in a drawer at home. It even has all the ringtones on it still." There was very little temptation that came with the phone and now you have all sorts of temptation right in your pocket sometimes it takes radical changes if that temptation is always there is always causing you to sin jesus tells us get rid of it make those radical changes in your life to keep sin out of your life and we need to be willing to do that before our discussion today I want to move past that. I want to move to the comfortable Christian. Someone who looks at their life and they don't see any massive sin problems. They struggle here and there, but they go to church and they worship God and they go home and they're very good at not sinning and they've finally gotten to a place where they're in a nice little groove in their Christian walk. And before you know it, that groove... You just stay there and it turns into a rut. Now, being in a groove is a good thing, but being in a rut is a bad thing. That rut turns into a ditch and a canyon. It becomes something that's very difficult for us to get ourselves out of. I don't know how many of you have had this thought, but it's something that's come into my mind. God doesn't change. So I shouldn't have to change either once I have everything figured out. And that may be true. Once we have it all figured out, which, spoiler alert, does not happen, maybe we wouldn't have to change. But the truth of the matter is we never have it all figured out. We just like to think we do. And when we think we have it all figured out, we don't like to change. We want to just stay right there in our comfortable space. Where we like to be. That's what we want to talk about this morning. Is why don't we get out of that rut? Why don't we change? This passage was read in a in a study that I was a part of a couple of weeks ago, and it really hit me pretty hard. It says in Jeremiah five verse number three, O Lord, are not your eyes on the truth? You have stricken them, but they have not grieved. You have consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to return. Does this describe us? I sincerely hope that it doesn't. But I found in my life far too often when I met with something that I should probably study out further, probably adjust in my life, I tend to dig my heels in. You know, no, that can't be the case. I, I don't need to make that change. Paul talks about it in Philippians chapter 3, verse number 12, where he writes, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus this is Paul we're talking about here truly a man of God wrote most of the New Testament and he knew the value of never getting in a rut and staying put never becoming stagnant in our growth or in our willingness to make changes for God verse 15 he says therefore let us as many as are mature have this mind and if anything If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. You consider yourself a mature Christian, this is the mindset that you're to have. Never stopping, never looking back on your life and going, man, I've done so much good, I've learned so much, I've got so much figured out, I'm good. Rather, we always reach forward, we always press, we always have that same mind of growing. We have never, quote-unquote, arrived, not until death, not until we have been glorified. We always need to be willing to grow and be willing to make changes in our life. So I want to look at a few things this morning is that I need or might need to change in my life, that I need to be willing to look at, be willing to consider that, that I may be wrong about. We find an account in Acts chapter 9 of Saul of Tarsus, who would then become Paul later on. But Paul was wrong about his belief at this point in his life. And he wasn't a little bit wrong. He was loud wrong. He had chosen the wrong side of his religion. He held on to Judaism. And he was sticking with it to the point of persecuting the church, throwing people in prison, trying to stomp out those that followed Christ. And this is what happened to him. In Acts 9 and verse number 34, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven, And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Have you ever had this happen to you? I've had it happen to me. Not in the miraculous way that it happened to Saul here, but I believe we're given this imagery for a reason. And I've been sitting in that pew right there and someone up here talking and and preaching God's word and a light shone, (laughs) A light bulb went off in my head and I went, wow, have I been way wrong about that. I took those things home and I studied them. And I learned more about them. Sometimes we're wrong about what we believe. And we need to be willing to consider those things, willing to study those things out in our life. Here in Acts 18, Apollos was just a little bit wrong, I guess, compared to... To Saul. But in verse number 24, it says, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scripture, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Aquila and Priscilla heard him. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. He was wrong. This was an eloquent man, someone who had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He was fervent in spirit. He wanted to teach others about God's word. But he was wrong. He didn't understand the baptism of Christ. And so, a couple took him aside and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. And we find as we continue his story and we continue the story in the life of Paul, both of these men took the instruction they were given to heart. They took those things and they made the changes that they needed to make in their life. Is that our attitude when we're met with the truth of God's word about something that we believe in? Maybe it's something we've been taught from a young age that that we really think is the right way and the, the truth of God's word. When we're shown a better way or more accurate way, not a better way, the more accurate way of God's word, do we dig our heels in? Do we harden our face? Say, no, that can't be right. Or are we willing to study those things? I'm not telling you to take the preacher's word for it. Never do that. But take those things home. Study those things out. Be willing to be met with the truth of God's Word. Be willing to make changes if necessary. That's one way I've really struggled in my life. Another way that I've struggled in my life to make changes, I feel like I read this verse every time I preach, But it's in James 4, and verse 4, it says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We love to hold on to that friendship with the world, and that makes us an enemy of God. Is that a change you need to make in your life? What about what we think about? Do we need to change what we think about? Philippians 4 verse 8, finally brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. It's an area of my life I need to change. I spend time thinking about things to worry about. Spend time thinking about gossip. This is what we need to spend time, our time thinking about. Is it an area of our life we need to change? Philippians 4 and verse 4 tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, I will say, rejoice. So generally speaking, I think I'm a fairly joyful person. But if you talk to most of the teenagers in this building, they would say I have a tendency to glare at them. And they're right. Does this describe us? Do we show the joy that we have in God all the time? This is a change I need to make in my life. I need to be more joyful. And I need to show that joy. What about holding on to our traditions? In Mark 7 and verse number 8... Jesus warns us here he says for laying aside the commandment of God you hold the traditions of men the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. There's also teaching in God's word that's pro-tradition and the difference is are your traditions against the commandments of God? Are we willing to look at those traditions that we have our family traditions our church traditions And think, are those things glorifying God? Or are they taking away from being able to glorify God? We need to be willing to look at those things, study about those things, and make changes if we need to make changes. James chapter 4, verse number 17 says, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Do we pass up opportunities to do good I know that I do and it's an area of my life that I need to change so why do I fail to change why won't I change change is not something that we should avoid it's not something we should be scared of but rather it's something we should be willing to do, to honor God. The first reason that we want to look at today for why I won't change is that if I change, that means that I have to admit that I'm wrong. And I don't want to admit that I'm wrong. We already noticed Paul and Apollos, how how they received their instruction. They recognized their failure. They recognize, hey, I've I'm, I'm been wrong about this. And they made the changes necessary. But my pride tells me that I, I can't do that. I can't admit that I'm wrong. James 4 and verse 6, the Bible tells us, but he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Pride says, I have it all figured out. Pride says, you need to listen to me. You need to hear my opinions on things. Because I know what's what. Humility says, that's a good point. I, I need to take that home. I need to study that more. I need to make sure that what I believe on whatever the subject is, fill in the blank, is accurate. I need to look at myself and, and stu- look in God's Word and have the humility to be willing to yield. Here in James 3, he's contrasting the wisdom of the world with the wisdom that comes from above. And he says here in verse 17 the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Willing to yield, being reasonable. Not digging in, not making our face like a stone. But rather, be willing to look into those things, study those things out. We have to be willing to think about our beliefs about God's Word. We can never get to a point, as we noted earlier, where we've arrived. Where we have it all figured out but rather we need to be easily entreated willing to yield. Philippians 2 and 12 tells us therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed not all Let me try that again. Therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed not as in my presence only but now much more in my absence work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. <laughs> We have to be willing. So have you ever uttered the phrase, well, that's how we've always done it? Because I've said that before. Well, that's how we've always done it, so that's how we need to be doing it. We're to study God's Word. That's not a good enough reason to continue to behave in one way or another. You know, there's a lot of traditions that we have in this life that are filled with wisdom, that are good traditions. There's also some traditions that we have in this life that are foolish traditions, that are things that do need to change, that are things that we do need to be willing to look into God's Word for ourselves, to work out our own salvation, to study about. Again, do our traditions promote godliness or do they hinder godliness? When we're met with the truth of God's word, we need to be willing to make changes in our life. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. This is how we've always done it. The Jews never ate with the Gentiles. That was part of their law. And in the kingdom of God, here at Antioch, there were Jewish Christians and there were Gentile Christians. And when some Jews came from Jerusalem, Peter went, Nope, that's how we've always done it. We eat over here and the Gentiles eat over there. You know what that did? That really made the Jews that came from Jerusalem feel comfortable. It was great for their culture. It's what they had always done. Even Barnabas, it says, followed in their hypocrisy. He jumped right in because it was comfortable. What do you think that did to the Gentile brethren there? It may have made the Jews feel comfortable, but I can guarantee you it made the Gentiles feel uncomfortable. Sometimes we have to look at the way we've been living our life, the things we've been holding on to, and admit that we've been wrong, that we need to make changes in our life. That we shouldn't live that way any longer. We have to be willing to get out of our rut when we need to. I assure you, this question makes me as uncomfortable, if not more uncomfortable, than it does you. But should we change based on culture? I don't like our current culture, I don't like the lack of attention span. I don't like the embracing of immorality. But Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19 through verse number 23, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. And to those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law." To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law towards God, but under law towards Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. We want to pause here and remind ourselves just as. Paul reminds us in this passage, we are never to compromise the truth of God's Word. Ever. We are to embrace that truth at all times. But like Paul, we need to be willing to, at times, adjust our lives under the law of Christ, but to reach other people. Adjusting the way we present the gospel of Christ, so that it can be heard by those that we're trying to teach. Paul gives us that example when he goes to Athens and he uses their culture to teach the gospel of Christ to them. They had an idol with the inscription to the unknown God, and he took that idol and he said, Look, this is the God that I'm preaching to you, the living God. Jesus gives us the example with the woman at the well. He was thirsty, he needed a drink, and he used that as an opportunity to teach her the gospel, to teach her about living water. You now, as I think about this, in our day and time, there used to be a very popular study that we would do with people, and it, we called it the five-part study, and it was five parts. And each part, depending on who gave it, An hour, an hour and a half. And it used to work really, really well to do that study with people. And as the attention span of our society started to shrink and lessen, it got to the point where it was really hard to get that third or that fourth study. So some adjustment had to be made. We have to know the situation, know the person we're trying to reach, be all things to all men so that we may, by all means, save some. Whether we like the culture we're in or not, there are lost souls all throughout that culture. And we have to be willing to change and be willing to adapt ourselves, never sacrificing the truth of God's word, but adapt to be able to reach a lost and a dying world around us. Romans 1 and verse 16, the Bible tells us, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. The word of God is for everyone. It's for all men. We need to be willing to adjust how we teach it. Sorry, we need to be willing to adjust how we take that gospel to everyone and be sure that we're taking it in a way that will reach them I hope we can remember to be humble be willing to yield be willing to think about our opinions on scripture study those things out willing to admit the when we're wrong be willing to make the changes that we need to make in our life another thing that has hindered me in in changing for the better, is a fear of changing too fast. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, the Bible tells us, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us deny, that denying ungodliness and worldly lust we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous of good works. We're called to be different, to be a special people. King James Version says a peculiar people. Different from the world. Leaving those things, denying ungodliness, denying worldly lusts, Instead, living soberly, righteously, and godly. That makes us strange to the world around us. And we don't want to be strange. We have that old man, that world tugging at us saying, no, you need to fit in. You need to fly under the radar. You need to be a chameleon. Don't change too fast. Mark 16 and 15, Jesus says, He said to them, Jesus says to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We're called to be evangelistic. But the world tells us, don't be too evangelistic. Don't be one of those people that just talks about Jesus all the time. Don't change too fast. This is what we like to do in our life. We like to take this line, this top line, and we'll call that our Christian growth. And then this bottom line is arbitrary. We just throw something out there for our own life. and We go, okay, I'm going to grow because I've got to grow in order to be saved. And I'm going to create this saved line. And it's just something I made up in my own mind, and I'm going to just make sure I stay just above it. Why do we do that? Why do we want to grow just enough to stay in God's good graces? In John 17, verse number 17, Jesus says in a prayer for us, I have given them your word, And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. We're afraid that the world is going to turn against us. Because when we're living our life as we should, the world will turn against us. We notice in this prayer, Jesus does not pray for that persecution to be removed from us. He says that we're not taking you out of this world. He prays for our salvation. He prays that we'll be kept from Satan. That we won't give in to the lusts of this world. That we won't give in to that temptation to fly under the radar, to to stay just above that line where we think we're saved. Persecution will come when we're living correctly. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So this is what we like to do. We have another line up there that is, again, arbitrary. Well, we decide, okay, I, I can't cross that because that's how good I have to be to be persecuted. So we go through life and we try to stay just saved enough, just good enough to be saved, but just friends with the world enough to avoid persecution. And we just like to try to stay sandwiched between those two arbitrary lines that we've created in our own mind. Never trying to grow too fast because, well, that would mean persecution. Never stop growing, necessarily, because we don't want to be lost just kind of a steady build and our own little rut. Staying just worldly enough that no one will notice my Christianity and just Christian enough that maybe God won't notice my worldliness. Why do we do that? For me, the answer is very simple. Job scares me to death. He scares me to death. Job was a righteous man, and Satan looked at him and went, I'm going to get you. Job lost his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his camels, his servants. He lost his sons and daughters. He lost everything. The persecution that we may face in this world by changing, by being as godly and as Christian as we should be, it can be scary. Now, I think we recognize this is an extreme example that we're looking here, at here, but it can be scary. As we continue to look at, at the life of Job, all of these things happened to him, and then Satan went after his health. And he had boils from the top of his head to the sole of his foot. So now he's sick and in great pain. He still had a wife. Wasn't very helpful to him, but his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Verse 10 But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? All this Job did and did not sin with his lips. Job went through the worst you could possibly go through in this life. You know what his answer was? Do we accept good and not adversity? Job describes me. That's exactly the Christian life that I have wanted. I want to take all the good, all the blessings, and I want to avoid all the adversity, all the persecution, all the hard stuff. I want to stay sandwiched in between being saved and being persecuted. It doesn't work. Timothy told us all who want to live righteously will suffer persecution. This is what is probably a more accurate picture. We keep our Christian growth under that persecuted line, and that saved line is above it. Persecution will come if we strive to serve God. And it's totally worth it. It was worth it for Job who went through the very, very worst of it. And it's worth it for us. Romans 8 and 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Andrew talked about this Sunday night. Godliness pays off every time. Don't be afraid of growing too fast. Don't be afraid to make the changes that we need to make in our life. If they're big changes, if they're small changes, I hope that this will be more like what we look like. Believe me, I tried and tried to get that top line to be straight. Don't ask. This is how we should grow. Not worried about that persecution line. Never having to give thought for the saved line because we are confident in our salvation. Because we're making the changes we need to make. We're growing like we should grow. We're doing everything we can for Christ because it's worth it. It's worth all the pain, all the difficulty that we may have in our life. so what if i'm wrong and it's a question we need to ask because making changes is scary and the bible is clear on some things and it's a little more lenient on other things things we need to strive for and we make changes in our life and and some things like i said are very obvious and other things we take the principles in god's word and we make those changes and what if i'm wrong What if I make a change that I shouldn't have made? Jeremiah 10 and 23 says, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. And that's the first step. Never do it because you want to do it. Do it because God wants you to do it. We need to be using God's word as he intended. Psalms 119 and 105, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and it's a light and to my path. When we're making changes in our life because God's word has encouraged us to make those changes, we'll be blessed in making those changes. And lastly, don't be prideful. Sometimes the change you made may not be the right change. Don't be prideful. I'm going to throw my partners under the bus here, but we see this in farming. There's four of us all trying to make decisions, and all right, I made a decision, and boy, was it a train wreck. The 60-inch cotton didn't come up right, Titus was in on this too, and it did not work. So we have a choice to make when something like that happens, and more often than not, we get hard-headed, and we go, nope, it was my choice, and it's got to be the right choice, and I'm going to just keep trucking forward whether it was the right choice or not. Or we can be humble. And we can go, ooh, that didn't work at all. And we can go back. Just because we make a change in our life doesn't mean it has to be a permanent change. Well, me and Candace were kind of thrown into the homeschool thing. We were batting the idea around, and then the school in Lockney wouldn't let rain in because she was like four days past the date. We went, okay, let's try this homeschool thing. And we've enjoyed it so far. It's been a good choice. But in our life, we've got to be willing to understand that hey, if it's not working out, if it's not being the best choice, we've got to swallow our pride sometimes and go, okay, well, we need to make a different decision here. And I'm certain you can think of plenty of examples in your own life, and I hope that you are. Let's use God's Word as He intended us to. Use it as a lamp to our feet. Use it to light our pathway. But when we falter, when we fail, when we make changes we shouldn't have made, don't be too prideful to look at that and go, all right, let's go back. Let's try this again. I hope the study has been encouraging to you this morning. I hope it's been something that you can take home with you and that you can study in your life and that you can look at your life and think about some things in your life that may need to change that you can follow the instruction that i hope i've given out of god's word tonight this morning and do those things we want to offer an invitation at this time there's one in the audience that's been struggling Do you have a change you know you need to make in your life you've been working on it working on it, and it's not something you feel like you can do alone. You feel the need for the prayers of the church this morning. We stand ready and and happy to pray with you and do what we can for you. There's one in the audience this morning that would like to be baptized, that would like to begin their walk with God. We stand ready to help you as well as we stand and sing.